everyone, and welcome to the Chorus in the Chaos podcast. My name is Blake. I'm here, as always, with Jack and Grayson. Hey, this is part two of a, a mini-series within our series regarding uh, the church on the subject matter of what are some good reasons to change churches. If you haven't listened to our previous episode, I want you to go back, listen to that, and gather some bad reasons to change churches. Uh, but I think any of us understand that there is some legitimate reasons to consider changing congregations. Uh, we want to, of course, lay down the foundation that it's never, if you're a Christian, it's never appropriate to leave the church itself, but it is appropriate to change church is. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, but before we launch into that, uh, I just want to throw out there, uh, we've been taking in questions uh, from the listeners uh, and compiling some of those great questions that you've sent in. We really want to do kind of a special uh, Q&A episode uh, at the end of our, our first season of this podcast. And so if you would like to email us a, uh, a question uh, or something of that nature, that would be really excellent. We would love to look over. It's not a guarantee that we're going to answer it, uh, but it would be a, a good opportunity anyway. Uh, so the, our email address is Jack Chorus in the Chaos at gmail.com. All right. Jack Chorus in the Chaos at email. <laughs> or, never mind. <laughs> I just confused it. <laughs> at, at email. At email.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, Starting off, uh, it was really easy to come up with some bad reasons to leave the church. Um, I think we kind of came to an agreement last time. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. That in the majority of cases, the reasons that people leave churches or change churches aren't usually great reasons. But there are some yeah. biblical reasons to leave. Yeah, I agree, Blake. <laughs> Are you guys going to help me out at all tonight? Or <laughs> <laughs> I just figured you would monologue the entire yeah. time. I actually just have a recording of Jack and Grayson saying, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. Yep. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Number one, bad reason, or no, good reason to change churches is what? They have abandoned orthodox teaching or orthodoxy. So what do we mean by orthodoxy? Jack, do you want to hit this one? Or you want me <laughs> to just go it? with it? Go with it. All right. Jack's a Presbyterian. He doesn't know. I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. No, that's not okay. That's All right. Not well, okay. moving on. If I were to summarize it up, though, quickly, um, Abandonment of orthodoxy just means that there are those primary doctrines which are non-negotiable teachings that we must hold to in the Christian faith. And if a church abandons them, um, frankly, they're no longer a church. So, Blake, you you gave us a nice little quote here. Um, how do you pronounce this guy's last name? I say Vigil, but I don't know. I think the S is silent. So if Vigil okay. is uh, listening right now... And we're sorry for, for butchering your name. Yeah, we do deeply apologize. We will correct it if you uh, donate to us. <laughs> <laughs> if you will reach out to us with a crisp $5 bill, we will yes. happy to go, we'll be happy to go back and correct this. Uh, 
All right, well, I'm going to go with what you have, a, a silent S, so vigil. Or is that how you yeah. said it? Or All right, fair enough. So he, he writes, the word means correct opinion and relates specifically to the tried and true interpretations of the Bible's major theme, its overarching story, and its foundational truths. These are the fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith that never change and never should. So I think that's a, it's a quite a helpful little, I mean, two-sentence blurb basically on what is orthodox teaching. But when we look at the reality of it, these are common doctrines that the church has historically confessed from the very beginning, and they're not up to interpretation. They're not up for debate. Uh, these are matters of settled yeah, doctrine. Sure. And, then, so and these a few things, examples of that. Oh, go ahead. Go, go, go ahead, ahead boy. Go ahead, Jack. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, Jack. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm unorthodox. I'm the press. You're gonna have to do so. some heavy editing on this episode. I think. <laughs> no, no, Jack, you're not. You're not unorthodox. You're just heterodox, right? <laughs> Some of the bappies are just ganging up on him. No. Jack was not prepared for this tonight. I was not. I, I had something I was going to say, and I completely lost it. So now you have to say your part. Like, go ahead. No, yeah. So so a few examples <laughs> of orthodoxy. So we we kind of jab and laugh and and giggle at each other uh, and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, uh, at least in this collective of us three, uh, you know, we would consider each other brothers in Christ uh, because though we have uh, variation on some things, the fundamentals of the faith uh, believe that we have down packed. So some of those are going to include things like so our non-negotiable, close-handed issues, the full divinity and the full humanity of Christ. Um, if you're saying that Jesus is not God or Jesus was not human, uh, you have jumped the rails and you are out of orthodoxy and you are a Jehovah's Witness or you are a Mormon or you are some other brand of whatever, uh, but you are not an orthodox Christian. Uh, the fact, for example, that there is only one true God, which we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and various other places. Uh, the fact that God created the universe, you know, ex nihilo, from nothing. Um, hang, Jesus, hang on. So I think that's yeah. an interesting one, Blake, because um, what? so you're saying, just to, pair, to put this in context, mm -hmm. if someone is in a church where they teach say the big bang theory and evolution, like the pastors endorse that or they're fine with that. You would say that they've abandoned orthodoxy. Um, so there has to be a first cause. And if the first cause is anything but God, then you've abandoned orthodoxy. So there is, so God is uncreated. There wasn't something that created God, uh, but God himself uh, is the creator, and he creates out of nothing. Now, there would be, a, we could have a deeper conversation about people who teach things like uh, theistic evolution and things like that, because that, I think that, I'm not promoting theistic evolution. I think it's wrong, I think it's false, and it makes a mockery of Genesis and either, even things that Christ said. But uh, it would still say that, God got things rolling, and then it just took a really long time and a natural progression. But it, but it has all kinds of problems because it requires death before the fall. Uh, it, it requires all kinds of you know wild stuff like that. But um, simply to say, the orthodox teaching is God is the first cause of things. Yeah. 
Um, Jesus died and rose again. Okay, that's kind of what we're all about. Uh, Jesus is coming back for his people. Again, so whatever your interpretation is uh, there of how we get there, and we'll probably talk about that on a future episode. Uh, but the fact that you know Jesus died, rose with a purpose, he ascended, and he is coming again uh, for his people. That's just some examples, then, yeah. of orthodox teaching that you, you have to believe uh, to be a Christian. Yeah. Yeah, and I think something I've that's surprised me over the years of you know 20, 20, 20 some odd years of being a Christian is how many churches there are, notable churches that actually deny like openly deny something like this. For example, one. So I went to Dallas Baptist University, and we shared a fence with the Potter's House, which is yeah, uh, TD Jakes's church, and. Not to slander, but I am pretty sure he, if I remember correctly, he he teaches modalism. Oh, for yeah. example, yeah. Someone might correct me on that, but I'm I'm rather sure like he op- he he uh he openly endorses that. So I think that was one of those weird things. Like I think that I saw he endorsed it, and then somebody explained it to him, and he was like, "Oh no, I don't believe that." But then he like kept on teaching it. So one of those, well, yeah, yeah, one of those. That goes into point things. number two. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> which we'll get to, <laughs> which we'll get to in a moment. But but uh, just that to say, I, it's important. And if you're a Christian out there and you're listening to this, um, and you're not sure, like think about these things. Like ask your pastor. If you're like, wow, I wonder if my pastor does believe in modalism. You're like, what is modalism? Ask your pastor. Ask your pastor, right? T- talk to him and, and really try and understand, is your church aligned with orthodoxy? Because if you've abandoned, we, we think about, we've talked in a number of episodes, uh, specifically specifically in the first couple two, the seriousness and the urgency by which Paul commands believers to uh, to have good doctrine, to care about doctrine, because doctrine matters orthodoxy matters and if you're not sure if your chart if your church is orthodox find out like ask questions right um the i remember the potter's house thousands of people every sunday thousands of people and i could see it from my from my dorm room because they were just like again we shared a fence just so so many people and uh yeah so many people it's it's you know it's concerning it's right, genuinely right. And the, yeah, yeah, and then you wonder like how many people are even thinking through thinking through the the consequences of you know modalism and, and things like that. You know, it's yeah pretty, pretty wild. The thing is, is if you are following health and wealth preachers though, your primary concern is usually never doctrine. It's uh health and wealth, you know, <laughs> and happiness and all of those things. But but there, yes, that is generally true. But we would all agree that there are believers stuck in that stuff. I was in that when I first became a Christian, just because I didn't know any better, mm. and it took someone challenging me on doctrine to recognize, hey, this isn't in the Bible, right? Mm. Um, so I think yes, that is a generally a true statement. But I think we should always always recognize that we need to go with truth, and you know, the, the people will respond to Christ's word. They will be, you know, he, he, he who has ears, let him hear. They will hear and respond to Christ's calling and, and, and such. So, yeah. Yeah. I think the people that are saved in those types of environments are literally saved in spite of that church and in spite of the doctrine they teach. Right. 
So inevitably what happens is they, they start to discern those things simply by the ministry of the Spirit, and the Spirit draws them out and will put them into, a, Lord willing, a more solid and faithful church because you know, Christ's sheep hear his voice. I mean, that's just the reality of what Christ says. So I've witnessed all sorts of people coming out of environments like that, and they've come into our church at times, or I know they've come into a different church that is solid, and they're like, I had no idea what I was even missing right. until I just simply sat under faithful exposition of the yeah. word. Yeah, that was me. That was me. I didn't, I didn't know people taught the Bible like that yeah. until I heard it for the yeah. first time. Right. You know, I had a conversation today uh, with a lady that grew up in a very liberal Methodist church uh, as we were doing a Bible study on prayer, and she said, "Growing up, I do not remember the pastor ever praying during a service." Wow. Like, like is that mind-blowing? And then, yeah. then she was like, then when you get out of it, like when you get out of it and you get to, you know, someplace else, it's like, wow, we have, I didn't realize, well, you, you know, that's what you said, I didn't realize what we were, what we were missing. Uh, but, but on the subject of orthodoxy, though, uh, orthodoxy are really faith-defining beliefs. It's the things that separate Christianity from everything else. And so we also have to keep in mind that not everything is an issue of orthodoxy. Um, it's that, uh, what was the bad guy on uh, Incredibles? Oh. Syndrome, was that his name? Cyclone. Cyclone, something syndrome, like that. something. When everything's orthodox, know. nothing is. <laughs> even though he didn't actually say that. Uh, but there are secondary issues. Uh, and we've talked about some of those secondary issues. I think of things like frequency of communion. You know, how often do you take communion or how often are you supposed to take communion? Uh, you know, those are things maybe where you would have, uh, you know, some, dis some, some disagreements on, but would by no means keep somebody out of the faith. Um, there are some... There is some room for uh, denominational uh, distinctives, I would say. Some people don't like that thought, but I Ooh. think it's there. So you mean like within that particular church, you could have people split on those things? Or you mean denominations are healthy and good to preserve the unity of the body as a whole? Yes. So a both, a both and? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, both and, either or. Okay. Yeah. We, I know we had talked about doing an episode on this, and maybe we will at some point. But Grace, on that second point that you just made, I think it's such yeah. a good one. It's such a good one. The That Paul even says that it's good that there are divisions among you. Like he says this. Yep. And denominations, I think, are not a bad thing. Um, they they help us they help us weed out bad orthodoxy. Like if 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 and here's an example. If if someone were to walk up to you and say I am a member of a PCUSA church. Like you, you immediately have some valid concerns, right? Um, and, and denominations provide a way of, of help us, helping us identify orthodox, orthodox sections of Christianity and non-orthodox. Like they, they label themselves that way. Um, and, and it helps us further recognize, uh, it, which is kind of a theme of what we're about. You know, you're, giving me grief for being a Presbyterian and correct all the time, but, um, <laughs> but it's, quite a, it's but a burden. <laughs> it's, it is a burden. I bear it. I bear it being correct all the time. Um, but, but we're you not, I mean, it's the nature of what we are. Like we are united in these things. Like 
Uh, I love you guys. We are brothers in Christ. And, um, you know, it's not my fault that you guys are not quite right on some stuff. But I love you anyway. And so, someday we'll be set even, right, Jack. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even. I'm trying to say this without a smile on my face. I do. I uh, do long for Jack is like as an undefined period of time after that happens, you'll be set right. I do long for the day when we're all standing in glory and we all have that oh moment, <laughs> like, yeah. like oh, now it all makes sense and we're all the on the Anglicans same page. were right all along. Oh, the Anglicans! <laughs> Why is the Queen so close to the throne? <laughs> yeah. So here's a question for you: Would you say it's appropriate then for? I mean. We would, I think, all agree on this, that there are secondary issues that are appropriate to divide over, right? We we divide on baptism, we divide on the millennium, stuff like that between the three of us. So in that same reality, would you say it's appropriate on some level with secondary issues to be able to leave a church and go elsewhere? Would that be a good biblical reason? To change churches on a secondary issue? Like I'm a ba- yep. I'm in a Baptist church, but I become convinced of Presbyterianism. Is that your scenario? Yes. Like an example. Of yeah, that? something like that would be what I'm getting at. Uh, I think so. I think it could be. I think not in all cases. I think in particularly in that scenario, particularly in that scenario, then you're pressing up against. Um, you would have to do a lot of uh, repressing your conscience as well. Yep. Um, when it comes to, especially like the Presbyterian Baptist divide and things like that. Uh, I think there's, so maybe even within secondary issues, there's different levels of, you know, there's conviction. Like there's, there's matters of conviction here. Mm-hmm. I was, well, here, here's an example. Cause cause some of this, I don't know, you, there's going to be nuanced answers for everybody on some of this. And I think ultimately people need to, to, to kind of follow conviction and recognize that even if you attend church, it's not a full breaking of fellowship. But there's this classic example of MacArthur and Sproul. Like yeah. they were great friends. Mm-hmm. And MacArthur famously told Sproul that if he tried to join his church, he wouldn't let him because of his <laughs> view on baptism. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. you know, like they're just, but they were still great friends. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, so there, there's varying levels of this stuff. So I, I, I don't know. I think, um, I think I also think there's something awfully honorable and um, and honorable is I guess the right word to to be in that position and submit to the leadership of the church even if you don't agree on these secondary issues. Yeah, I, I think I I tell my our people this often. If we sat down and everybody wrote out every tiny nuance of every single thing that they believe and they just took everything to its, to the capacity, like to their mental capacity, clear to the end of it. We probably wouldn't have any two like minds in the congregation, you know, on points and sub points and sub points of sub points and, and things like that. I mean, at what point, you know, do you, even with, uh, you know, minor interpretations, you know, who were the, the Nephilim, you know? Okay, so we've got three primary, you know, definitions or explanations of the Nephilim, you know. So now we're going to split our church up, you know, because you hold a different view of that. You know, so, I mean, there, there's things like there is there is an aspect of 
secondary issues that don't violate the conscience. At least I don't think that the arguments of the Nephilim would be a conscience violator. Maybe it could be. It could have the Nephilim brethren. <laughs> of the Nazarene? Or something. Yeah, the brethren of the Nephilim. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that there's there's things like that. I, you know, when you're getting into the Presbyterian Baptist thing a little more, I always kind of bring it back to, okay, if we were a heavily persecuted church, like if tomorrow they announced, uh, hey, the polls came in, and uh, guess what? You can't be a Christian anymore, and we're going to kill all the Christians. Um, a lot of those secondary things would fall to the wayside very, very quickly. That, you know. that That's a great point, Blake. That's a great point. Like, And I've thought about that. Like, And maybe that's a, a good way to... We, we have a luxury here in America. We have a luxury of options yeah. in a lot of places. Yeah. We, have a, so it, we have a luxury so of So it makes pickiness. it easy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So, well, it makes it easy. It's like, it's like, well, I think I'm a little more convinced on this issue than that one. And these guys agree with me, so I'm going to go there. So I'm we have this luxury. I'm a little more Baptist which, than these Baptists, so I'm going to go to this yeah. Baptist <laughs> But it, but if if I were in, you know, an underground church in China, and uh, and by the way, if anyone is listening to this in an underground church in China, thank you for your, thank you for what you're doing. Probably not, yeah. uh, probably not anyone listening, <laughs> I mean, but maybe right. Uh, uh, but if I were there and I show up, and every one of them are Baptist, I'm not going to just be like, ah, yeah, right, go, guys, right, no, exactly, <laughs> you know, like. There, there would be, and that's where I think, and that's a really good way to, to, a good example, or at least the way you phrased it, because, and that, that's what I think we need to, to abandonment of orthodoxy. Like that is the core of who we are as Christians. Mm-hmm. And there are these secondary issues which we can muddle around with. And I'm not saying they're not important. Yeah, right. I think exactly. they're very important, exactly. right? They're very, very important. But at the, when, when we are faced with martyrdom, when the church is under uh, serious, heavy persecution, we're not arguing over. Don't burn uh, me next of... to the Baptist. I don't want to get yeah, his Baptist well, yeah. filth smoke on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. His Baptist smoke. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't smoke in this life, and I ain't smoking in the next. I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, the Baptists actually are really heavy on tobacco. I mean, Southern Baptists—you got all the plantations down there. Yeah. They just don't drink much. That's true. So that's true. The Presbyterians would have their whiskey stench. I think this is a perfect time to talk about uh, the righteous path of teetotalism. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Um, speaking of secondary issues, (laughs) (laughs) the uh, so again, there's there's primary issues, there's there's secondary issues. Uh, Those are things that you're going to have to work through. on that again, I don't think that like things like frequency of communion is going to be a reason to break fellowship with an otherwise good church that loves you and cares about you and has godly elders and you have relationships there and and everything else. I mean, that would just that would be silly almost. I mean, you don't break communication with your blood family uh, probably just because you have some disagreements on some things. Uh, we can at least be that gracious. Uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, I would think, and even more so. Um, So again, abandonment of orthodoxy, number one reason to leave, to change churches. Again, if your pastor gets up and says, Jesus was created, boogie out of there, okay? Um, Go find a... Don't wait for the benediction. Yeah, don't wait for the benediction. Get up (laughs) and 
leave. Have you guys ever done that? Like, have you ever visited a church and you heard something so crazy that you got up and left? I did in chapel once at Dallas Baptist University. Wow. Really? And you went over to yeah. the potter's house instead? <laughs> <laughs> we got one climbing the fence. The Baptist sniper is trying to take you out. Yeah. What, what, tell us about that because now I'm curious. Oh, man. I haven't thought about this in a long time. What was the... You got to remember, I was very, I was a new Calvinist. It was very cagey. Yeah, yeah. And, ve- and I was very opinion. I'm not, I'm not saying it was just. I'm just saying I did it. Oh, right. So okay. first of all, so if you don't want to drag uh, your sin out in front of everyone, that's fine. No, well, I still think what the guy did was dumb. Uh, he, this was a fairly well known pastor in the DFW area, and he came and taught chapel. And the only thing he start <laughs> this, I don't even remember what the sermon was about. But his his message wasn't, I'm paraphrasing, because it's been 20 years. Um, If you study the Bible like me, you can do this. And then he went and recited all of Matthew's begats. And then then he asked for like an ovation. Did you do like a backflip or something? Well, no, he was just like, look what I did. And I just remember being really annoyed. Yeah, yeah. Like really, really annoyed. Yeah. Uh, for for good reason. Like that's a really like why are you showing off? Um, but yeah, and but I got do up. You and have all the begats memorized, Jack? Didn't think so. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like somebody hasn't studied the Bible like him. I'm telling you, <laughs> just saying. Conviction hurts, Jack. I get it. Yeah. So yeah. again, I, it wasn't a just reason to do it. I was a dumb twenty year old, but uh, it still was dumb on his part. Yeah. I'm just glad we get to giggle about yeah. it 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So a second reason to change churches. So not only an abandonment of orthodoxy, uh, but if you have biblically unqualified leaders, qualifications of a pastor are laid out for us in scripture. Um, First Timothy three, one through seven, Titus one, uh, five through nine, We've got this this list, and I think that this is a good time to talk about uh, what makes a qualified biblical leader and what makes an unqualified leader. Now, no doubt there are men and women in positions that they should not be in in the church, uh, in particular in the pastoral role. Now, they may have all the best intentions in the world. They may be very nice. They may be very kind. Maybe they've even been doing it a long time. That does not have any bearing on the argument if they are not biblically qualified. Uh, And so a few things to look at on biblical qualification. Do you guys want to hit some of those? Yeah, I mean, the first one is very simple. He must be a person that's um, of integrity, right? He has to be worthy of respect by those who are inside of the church and outside, right? He must have a good re- reputation. He must be respectable, above reproach, blameless, upright, however you want to shape it. He has to be holy. He has to love what is good. He has to have um, a, basically a model or a modeled behavior for the church and for those who are outsiders to be able to see this reality. Um, I think first and foremost, how many people that our pastors actually fail on that one simply because they're not above reproach. Mm. I mean, that's a very blanketed term that Paul gives us. But you think of so many, so many of the fallen leaders or the fallen pastors today 
many of them are disqualified just on that basis alone because they've committed egregious sin and they are no longer above reproach. But it's a non-negotiable. I mean, if you want to be a pastor or an elder, you have to be considered a person of integrity. You have to be worthy of that respect. Yeah. Yeah, the, the one that gets me on this list, I mean, they're all like heavy and intense, but loves what is good. Just my mind's kind of stuck on it. Loves what is good. Yeah. When we're considering what is good, of course, we have to have a biblical definition of what is good because we get confused about goodness and we let the culture press in upon us and define what goodness is. I think of the rich young ruler coming up to Jesus, good teacher, you know, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Uh, the first thing that he has to do is correct this guy's view of what good actually is. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of unqualified leaders in very theologically liberal churches that the congregation will look at and say, well, they're very good. Um, but their definition of good is loving wickedness, uh, accepting wickedness, promoting wickedness, uh, tearing apart the Bible, disregarding God's plain commands. I mean, those things aren't good things. And so a biblically, biblically qualified pastor or elder or deacon uh, is going to love what the Bible says is good, and he will hate what the Bible says says is evil yeah 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 and i think that's such a broad in a good way such a broad thing but man the qualifications of pastor are high like hats off to you two because i'm not a pastor but hats off to you two in because i i know you both well enough to know that you guys think about these things all the time and you you know to the best of your ability in christ seek to pursue them yeah and man it's a heavy list it's a heavy list when you're looking yeah when you're when you're looking at it and considering it um the second the second qualification being self-controlled uh being temperate being disciplined um man self-discipline and self-control it's like the foundational it's like the foundational things that everything else builds on top of if you're not if you if you're not self-controlled and you don't have self-discipline think of how many sins follow that um mm -hmm. you know just just easily well, build upon it think of it in this realm i mean blake how many people are checking up with you on a daily basis to just make sure you're working mm. Mm -hmm. i mean i i don't have people that ask me anything of what i do in a <laughs> Um, well, the, that's the reality of it. For one, I don't think people really just, they don't know, but they also don't care. And I don't mean that as a, a dig. It's just, they've got their own yeah. lives. And I but, think those things come up though, when you start lacking, you know? Yep. But at the end of the week, the, uh, everybody expects a sermon, right? Um, in the middle of the week, you've got counseling, you've got classes, you've got other different opp uh, teaching opportunities. Sometimes people are going to die in the middle of that. Then you've got weddings, all sorts of different things that can pop up. Um, but if you're not self-disciplined, what happens in the middle of all that? Because people are going to be coming to you expecting biblical answers. And no matter what, come Sunday morning, and then for you, especially on Sunday evening, You've got to be able to preach the word. And if you're not disciplined to sit your butt in a chair and study and study well, um, you feed the flock very poorly. It's like everything hinges off of that reality. It's not 
just the moral end of it. It's the, I'd still argue it's moral, but yeah. it's the didactic or the teaching right. element of it too. Right. If that, and you just never know what a week's going to hold either. That's the other thing is, is just, yep. um, I don't know. It's wild. A lot of grace to get through the, the week as a pastor. I'll tell you. Um, a pastor must not misuse alcohol by getting drunk. And, you know, the plain, the plain statement is, is that he's not given to, to drunkenness. Um, yep. Now, of course, we could talk about what does it mean to be drunk, but maybe another episode. He must be hospitable. He must be able to welcome people into his home and into his life. He's not standoffish. What do you think? That's probably the one. What do you I think, Grace? <laughs> Grayson, what do you think? Grayson, you seem very standoffish. I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I don't know. Uh, you're pretty unapproachable. Yeah, right. I don't um, feel like I can come to you with anything. Actually, I I'm the the textbook. You know, if I could classify myself this way. I'm the textbook introvert guy that would love to sit at home in a nice cozy chair and read a book and just not be bothered. Um, and I enjoy people. So there's like this weird catch 22 that's always happening in my mind and in, in my heart. Um, but my wife, thanks to God, is literally the opposite of me. So I remember when I was first considering being a pastor, um, I'd come home after studying and after work and I would just want to do nothing. And she's like, I've been at home with the kids all day. I want to see some people and I want to host. And so it took me a while to literally just get my mind around the idea that I have to be hospitable and it's a non-negotiable quality for an elder that has right. to be there. Um, what kind of a shepherd so, refuses to be around the sheep? You know, I mean, yep. that's, I think when you when you start laying out one of the, a really great book, I'm trying to remember who wrote it. Um, and the title's kind of chintzy, but it's Lessons from a Sheepdog, um, and it's basically just about pastoral ministry and, and care for the congregation and things like that. Um, that book really drove home for me the I don't know if it was like this for you, but when you're in school. And you're in, you know, you're you're in school and you're getting pastoral training and doing whatever, and you're with these other guys who are doing the same thing. That there is so much focus or feeling around, man, I just want to sit for twelve hours in my office uninterrupted and just soak in the word of God. And then I'm going to come, I'm going to give this grand sermon and I'm going to, you know, have 30 hours into each of my sermons and it's going to be so good and, and all this stuff with so little thought, at least as a young man for me, uh, you know, mm -hmm. so little thought of where does the work with the sheep come in, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Know. Well, that was that yeah. was me. I mean, yeah. literally, my thought was, I get to preach. Yeah. That's awesome because I love right, doing that. Right. But now, in the pastorship, I mean, my my pastor convinced me of it, um, and then obviously had to walk in it. But it was like preaching's the fun part of my job. That's that's really the easier part of my job too. And I don't mean it's easy in the sense of preparation, but that's that's what I naturally gravitate right, towards. Right. And um, not that other aspects of ministry aren't fun or aren't joy giving or anything like that, but anytime no, they are. They actually are incredibly right. Joy right, and it, the thing is, though, is when you when you sit down with a book, the book rarely argues with you, um, and the and the book rarely you know calls you names or 
says, you know, or whatever, you know, uh, ignores you, things like that. Uh, you know, so there is, a, there is a difficult aspect of working with people, which is just a reflection, I think, of thinking of the great shepherd and the difficulty of working with me, you know, <laughs> uh, and how yes. hard-headed I can be and, and, and things like that. And so um, part being uh, hospitable and being someone who says, I want to be with the people and alongside the people and caring for the people and loving the people and protecting the people. I mean, those are the jobs of a pastor. And, and, and part of the way that that is facilitated is not just in the foyer on Sunday morning, but actually, you know, elders of a church having real relationship with members of their, of their congregation. Yeah. As much as, well, much as the congregation will allow, you know, that's the other thing is, is sometimes people just don't want, you know, you can invite people yeah. and you can put things on and you can try to get into somebody's life. But if they're throwing their hands up and they don't want, if they don't want that level of care, at least at that time, um, then there's nothing you can really do about it. Yeah. I yeah. think literally anytime I'm interacting with somebody at the church, I'm thinking as a pastor now where I'll, I'll ask questions that are diagnostic, so to speak. You know, how's the family? How is your wife doing? How have you guys been, you know, what's your time like in the Word? And there was a switch that happened in my brain um, simply because I was starting to see them as Christ's sheep rather than these are just fellow church members. And there was that point of saying, okay, literally every aspect of my interaction with them, um, be them friends or newcomers into the church, um, older men, younger men, whomever, is now I'm looking at it and saying, how do I equip them to better serve and love right. the Lord? You know, something I think that pairs yeah. with that, too, is those are the things you like talking about. Like, right? You like it when somebody comes up to you and says, "Yep, what's God's Word doing in your life? Um, how is, you know, how is life going with, with you know, training up your, your children? I mean, those conversations are so much better than some weather we're having outside, you know? Uh, so, I mean, so it's the very things that you're asking, uh, you know, you can, you can call it diagnostics if you want, but the very things that you're asking are the very things that I think that you want to be asked and the things that you want to talk about as a believer. I mean, I can talk with anybody about, you know, the weather and, and things like that. Uh, but those spiritual conversations are the unique privilege of brothers and sisters in Christ. Yep. There's a beautiful quote by Jonathan Edwards. I, I can't remember it off the top of my head, the full thing, but it talks about the reality of a, a, a good shepherd and a good parishioner or good congregant. And as much as the shepherd was faithful to do that task on earth and as much as a congregant was faithful to attend themselves to that pastor will be the exceeding joy of Christ with the two of them in heaven. And so there, it, it was just, it's, it was a really beautiful thing. My pastor shared it with me, but it made me recognize like every aspect of that will be to the exceeding glory and praise of Christ Amen. in heaven. And it will be his Amen. joy. Yeah. That's awesome. Love it. A pastor must be able to deal with people in a respectful way. So not being violent, he must be gentle, not quarrelsome, um, not overbearing, not quick-tempered. Uh, I would venture to say, and maybe this is just a reflection of me, 
uh, that this is the area that I find myself having to check the most. Um, not being quarrelsome, uh, not being overbearing. It's so hard. Like, so we're in a small Baptist church. Uh, you know, I'm the quote lead pastor. Um, and it's hard not to slip into that, uh, my way or the highway mindset, even though you're the, or even though you're the leader, you know, uh, even though you're the, the pastor, uh, not being overbearing and forceful. I think of the, I don't know if we talked about this off camera or if we talked about this uh, one time <laughs> together, the, the, the guy that would come in and check people's cupboards. Um, oh, that might've been, okay. Yeah. <laughs> if that was on another episode, I can't remember, but somebody was talking about that. They had a friend who had a pastor uh, who would make regular checks in people's kitchens to make sure they weren't eating gummy bears or whatever, you know, uh, you know, not being glad. I mean, like that's to me, like you've crossed now into, you know, being overbearing and things like that. Pastors aren't supposed to be violent. They're supposed to be gentle. Like you've got one voice toward the wolves and you have one voice toward the sheep and you cannot confuse those two things. Um, very important to remember. Jack's in the background eating soup right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, what are you doing? It's a Fig Newton. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm just soaking this in. You guys are bastards. So I'm like, I'm well, I might as well do in. something I'm... productive like eat a Fig Newton. It's Figgy time. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, we'll try to pick this up a little bit then for your. Here's sake. a good one. So <laughs> no, you're a good, good one. Give you're this good. one, Grayson, because there's a there's a there's a big old clause in this one. <laughs> <laughs> he must be a good husband that is faithful to his wife and a good father, and the the reality is that if a man cannot manage his house, how can he manage the church? couple of so let that sink in yeah. right a couple of things there go right? ahead uh a pastor is a man you mean to tell <laughs> me that well i mean in today's day and age you can literally be a woman and have a wife as well i was gonna make a bad joke but that doesn't right. work anymore. we've we've we've, mo we've moved yeah, into sadly. such lunacy that something that would have been comedic uh 20 years ago is now a legitimate lifestyle um, yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire, for example. Yeah, but the reality is that Scripture just simply talks about it and says that uh, a pastor must be a man, an elder must yeah. be a man. Uh, there's no ifs, ands, or buts yeah. about it. I mean, that qualification right there in terms of just simply being faithful to his wife, a one-woman man, um, again, another non-negotiable quality of mm -hmm. a leader. Mm -hmm. Uh but. Yeah, he must be a, a father. His children have to be walking right. Uh, now, this is where you might get into a little bit of a um, a, 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 a skiff with, with some people. Uh, do you interpret that as the children must be walking with the Lord always, even when they're outside of the home, or when they are living under the, the pastor's roof? Well, does the text say specifically that they must be in the Lord, or does it say that they must be under control? Uh, I can read. I've actually got it pulled up here. First Timothy three, 
Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it says, verse 12, let, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So, I mean, right then and there, you can see. Oh, the wait, people... hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Let me yeah, go up a little deacons, bit. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's the same qualification, though. Uh, yeah, same it is. is, but it's the the next peric- yeah yeah that's um, verse five. Yeah, yeah, there is. Fair. If someone does Keeping not know his... how to manage his own house, how will he care for God's church? Keeping his ch- yeah, and before that, man, I'm really yeah. butchering this. It's he- those figgies. <laughs> <laughs> He's it's just slowly fig- reading backwards. <laughs> <laughs> All right, going back to First uh, Timothy two. <laughs> I've been reading too much Hebrew from right to left. Yeah. <laughs> not be a drunkard, not violent, uh, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. In verse four, he must manage his own household mm. well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if he does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care right. for God's church? So keeping his children submissive is So I mean I would say then I would say then that the qualification is your own while they're under your roof while they're under your authority but if they but if they leave i mean i know that there's a big movement uh in particular i think with the uh in the in the truly reformed tm uh that they have to be uh always walking with the lord even outside so like some people would look at for example john piper in simply under the simply because of his son being you know off the off the rails uh that he would be then disqualified as a pastor. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I get the argument. I think um, I can sympathize with it to a degree because I, I look at that and I wonder, okay, what went, what went wrong there? Um, at the same time, it's like, I, I look at a guy like John Piper and I know that it's not like he was unfaithful to teach his son the ways of the Lord. But the, the reality is what is the actual command given in the text? And, in all submissiveness or in all control, does that imply that that person must be a professing Christian? Or does it simply state that they must be under control within the household, that he must manage it well? Um, I mean, there's differences on that. There's differences that people understand what a one-woman man means, right? Does it mean that the guy has been divorced at one point? You know, let's say he was divorced before he was a Christian. Now afterwards, he's come to faith and got remarried. Or does it imply just... uh, faithfulness to his wife, whomever that may be at that time. You know, let's say he had three, four different wife, wives die. Um, there's there's implications that come up with all that stuff. But on the broad strokes, what we're looking at is that um, if the man does not manage his household well, he has no hopes to be able to manage a church well. And that's just reality of it. You've got, you know, in my home, you've got three little sinners and my wife who's a sinner and me who's a sinner. Nice and if save. I can't keep that, up, yeah. Oh, I gotta, I gotta add that in real quick, oh, just I'm in case she too. listens. <laughs> uh, but if I don't keep my household yeah. under control, and people know my kids is unruly and my wife is a gossip, right? Um, for one, nobody's gonna respect me. Right. Uh, but for two, how can I call others to repentance sure. if my own family's right. not absolutely under absolutely. control? There. Um, again, next qualification we touched upon. He's a man. You know, to be a, to be a pastor, you have to be a man. First Timothy two twelve says clearly that women are not allowed to teach or have authority over men in the church. And by virtue of being a pastor or an elder leading the church, 
by definition, you're called to teach men and exercise authority over them. So you may not like it, but that's how she be. That's how the fig Newton crumbles. Uh, a pastor... I think the... Uh, the te- Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that the technical term would be tough nuggies or something like that, right? <laughs> tough figgies. <laughs> tough figgies. Uh, a pastor must believe and be able to communicate God's word. He must be able to teach, holding firm to the trustworthy message to encourage others by sound doctrine. Um, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. That's a big one. I find it interesting, though, that out of all the qualifications given for an elder, only one of them has to do with aptitude yeah. to teach. All the others are moral qualifications. Yep. Yep. So it is possible to meet all of these things except that one. And you are a yep. very, very, very godly man, but you're not called to pastor. Because you must. It's also possible you're a very gifted teacher and you can understand the languages, everything else, but you're not a godly man and therefore you're not equipped either. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A pastor must not be. This isn't a problem for most pastors, but you must not be in it for the money, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I, have, yeah. I think Grayson probably would agree, along with me, that if we're in it for the money, we've taken a wrong turn somewhere. Yep. What a horrible career choice to make bank. You know, but no, but certain, but certain false teachers and settings and, and things, uh, they lend themselves to um, gaining a lot. Uh, and I think, I think this actually goes even a little beyond just like pastors looking for big fat paychecks. Um, what's that sordid gain or filthy? Yeah. Yeah. That it goes, that it goes into that if a pastor abuses their position and abuses their power, they can gain things that they would not normally be able to gain. Uh, and so there's this whole like kind of dark opportunity uh, that a pastor also has to shut down, not to you know rob widows of their houses and things like the Pharisees were doing, um, and, and and things like that. Again, it's not a uh, it's not as, as a member of the congregation uh, that might be listening. There's like this fine line of you don't overpay the pastor, but the man also has to survive and provide for his family, right? Um, I remember the pastor before me, my really my mentor, a uh, very, very godly man. Um, he told me about, you know, he had this, you know, meeting in like the 70s or whatever, and one of his head deacons said the, uh, said the phrase, well, we need to keep the pastor humble. Uh, oh, my pastor. Yeah, yeah, too, by, by not, ago. you know, and he was like, well, you know, you're going to humble me into a part-time job so that I won't be able to pastor as well, but I'm not going to let my kids starve, you know? And it was a very meager, and it was a very meager raise and stuff that they were talking about. And so you kind of live in this, this spot of, uh, if the pastor's first thought is what am I gaining out of this? Um, that is an unqualified man. I would say, I would say. Yeah. And I, I think that is a big one. 
that, that would be able to teach and then the in it for the money just is such a predominant thing in our culture yeah. today. Thank you. And, and it's predominant because these guys end up being the celebrity. Yeah. I got pastors. a question, Jack. In yeah. the Presbyterian world with presbyteries and things like that, does the individual congregation set the pay or does the presbytery decide that? The, uh, the, the, the individual, well, it would be the deacons would because they set the oh, budget. Okay. okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I didn't know like if the Pope was telling you guys what you could have or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh man. This is a spicy podcast. His holiness gave me a raise. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Um, so yeah, pastors must not be in it for the money. This is a big one, uh, that the pastor should not be a new convert. Why? I'm asking why. Well, I think he would be susceptible to failing on all of these <laughs> right, different grounds, and right. he hasn't been time tested right. and proven to be faithful. Right, man. right. If you're a new convert, um, how are how have you proven any of these other any of these other things? You know, um, you know, you get it's weird because sometimes this is one of those areas where sometimes you butt up against history. Um, where, you know, we've heard about, you know, men that become pastors when, I mean, I think, wasn't Spurgeon like 18 or something when he his first pastor at, uh, at the, not at Metropolitan, but, um, anyway, he was like super young. I mean, like crazy young where I don't know if any of us would be like, yeah, let's pick the 18 year old, uh, you know? And so I don't know, there's, there's kind of some things there, uh, but obviously it has to do with maturity and uh, being, you know, time tested uh, as well. You got to make sure, to the best of your ability as a congregation, uh, that you are not um, that you are not picking a man who will end up being the seed on the rocky soil, who comes up with great zeal just to die off and fail in some major moral way or to abandon the faith uh, completely. Yeah, and, you know, the last point you've got here uh, on, you know, re reasons to leave a church for biblically unqualified leadership is there are other biblical qualifications for a pastor that come from uh, places in Scripture. And we've kind of touched on these themes, but like Peter highlights in First Peter 5, 3, mentioning that the shepherd must not lord over the flock. You know, it's another character thing. Um, power hungry, we talked about that. So... Grace, you said it really well. There, there's when you look at all these qualify qualifications for biblical leadership, it really is interesting that only one of them is related to teaching. Yeah, we almost have it backwards in our day. I mean, you have two extremes, right? You have one side that'll they'll gravitate towards um, the really nice or the really you know morally godly man, and yet he's completely inept to open up the Bible and teach you from it, uh, or You've got the guy who is so eloquent in his speech, and he can craft amazing sermons. He's got very tweetable quotes, all that kind of stuff. Um, but his life is literally all over the map, and that he's left the church in shambles often because he's the guy that falls big. right? He attracts a crowd through his words, but when it comes down to it, um, he fails in a rather spectacular way. And what we're saying is that no matter what side of that spectrum you want to try and fall on, they're both unqualified. 
what we have to do is simply be able to find somebody who meets all of those qualifications. And it's hard for a reason, and it's because you're shepherding the Lord's flock. And so it's not a, a minor thing. I mean, James says those who wish to teach should uh, fear because they incur a stricter judgment, right? That verse kept me away from seminary, to be very transparent. I, I honestly wish it would keep more guys away from seminary. And that's not a thing against you. I think you would actually make a good pastor. I mean, I mean that. I think you would. <laughs> um, now we're just making stuff. Now we're just reading title. some things. <laughs> the one where the Baptists go off the rails. I know. It's like we just lost half yeah. our audience there. <laughs> <laughs> Blake and I have successfully. Let me hit you with this. Let me hit you with this, though. So we've got all these qualifications. Okay, talking about a godly, uh, qualified leader. Now, say I'm uh, really involved with the church and uh, you know, in close fellowship with the pastor. Everything else. Uh, say some kind of a debate comes up and the pastor loses his cool and kind of loses his temper with me on some thing. Um, now what do I do? Is he no longer qualified Started. to be the pastor? because he lost his temper with me when it clearly says under the qualifications here that he's not. Yeah. Blake, you bring up a good point. You, you bring up a good point. Cause anyone listening to this, if you were to sit here and like nitpick could probably find, you know, check. If you're like trying to check, like I really want to leave my church. So I'm going to listen to this episode and check the boxes. <laughs> yeah. Like you could listen to this and like, and do that. The, the, we need to remember that no one is perfect. We're all sinners, and there is no pastor uh, save our 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 Lord Jesus, who is the ultimate, you know, the over shepherd, who perfectly embodies all these character traits. But when we're talking about these things, some of them are binary, right? Like uh, faithful to his wife. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a binary thing. Um, but but many of them, you need to look at it as in a consistent track record. Like, is it? Is he always yeah, is he a rage monster like all the time? Yeah, um, is it all yeah. the time, or did he did he you know lose yeah. his temper once? And then can he right? then he can he readily uh, confess honest... that and ask for forgiveness? You know, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. If an honest evaluation reveals you know obvious shortcomings, you know through consistently over time, uh, then. Yeah, the man in question is not qualified to be a pastor, but we need to be. I would encourage anyone listening to this to be gracious and not not seek disqualification. Like, don't don't make that the aim here, but be try it to the best of your ability. Um, you know, th- think about these things, reconcile them with Scripture, pray about it, and uh, be slow, slow to anger, slow, slow to make a decision here, slow Absolutely. to judge. And uh, when it comes to, you know, even considering like, well, the pastor must not lord over the congregation, you you really have to think about like what that means. Now, just because, you know, you came up with an idea that you thought was really good and the elders of the church said, "Eh, we're not going to go that direction with this idea. It doesn't mean that they are sinfully lording over the church. It just means that your idea wasn't that good. (laughs) Right. I mean. You know, and sometimes, and you, it's a, yeah, by virtue of their role, they're to exercise yeah, authority. Right. 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 And so, you know, or that it could yeah. be something that we put into place later or whatever, you know. I mean, you have a song recommendation. I really would love us to sing this song. And, you know, if it's not sung the, the next week, how come we didn't sing the song that I recommended? You know, I mean, just chill out a little bit. The people 
that are shepherding you, love you, and care about you. They are imperfect, but uh, they will answer to Christ for their shepherding. I think we can all show each other a little grace in that area. Fourth reason. Yeah. Yep. You can leg- You skipped number three. What? Did I? You skipped three. Are we seriously yeah. an hour in and only on yeah, we're number on... two? Yeah. Well, this one, yeah, we these got... next two can go pretty darn okay. quickly. I mean, number four is literally just a one word. <laughs> so number three, though. <laughs> Was that a teaser? <laughs> number three, a legitimate reason to change churches is that you have moved too far away to regularly attend. I know. I know that you maybe you love your church. Uh, but now you've moved because of a job or some other situation. You've moved an hour away where you're having to commute, and you're finding yourself not being able to be in fellowship as much, not being able to attend as much, not being able to be intimately involved into the lives of the people. Um, it may be time for you to look for a closer church. Um, I know that's difficult. This is why one of the things that we always tell people uh, that I do, and I'm sure these guys too, is really think twice before you move. If you've got a good church, if you've got a good, solid church with good, biblically uh, founded relationships and uh, good preaching and good singing and fellowship and you love each other and care about each other, man, it should be an actual act of God to move you from that place. Um, but so many people yeah. uh, will, you know, readily take a take a promotion and move, and then say, "Oh man, I we didn't think about you know this church issue, what it's going to do for you know changing churches and yeah. and all those sorts of things." So you know, maybe you've moved too far away, uh, and you may love your former church, but if you're not able to attend and you're not able to be a part of the body life, then it's time to get plugged into a place that's closer to you. Yeah, I would say there's an element uh, as we think about kind of proximity to churches, something I've observed, and I'll say this in the reform camp, because what will happen is take these secondary issues we talked about. Uh, Hypothetically, you know, I'm a Baptist, but I'm in a Presbyterian church. And now there's this new, hip, cool, reformed Baptist church on the other side of town. I wouldn't, and I've seen this a lot where where people will, will jump to these churches I understand it. I genuinely do. I would encourage you to really think again about the vows that you took if you're considering leaving your church and think really hard. Like, is your, is your, are you leaving on on correct grounds? Because if, you know, it could be that your conscience is speaking to you in such a way that you need to, right? But if the gospel is being preached at your church, if your pastor is qualified, um, if all these things are true, you've got yeah. community, uh, stay. Yeah. I just, I'd ask you to stay. Like I th- I think too many people bounce around for Absolutely. preferences. There are times when, when, uh, when these things are real and they matter and make a difference that happened in my life about a year, year and a half ago. Um, but I'll say this, I changed churches after having been there nine years and really wrestled for four mm. about leaving. Um, it took a four years. And finally, after a lot of prayer, um, it became very clear sure. it was time to go. Yeah. I just encourage you to stay. If, if be long suffering, we talked about this in the last episode, bearing with one another, put yeah. up with people because they need to put up with you. 
Well, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head. We, in our culture, suffer from what I would say is that trip church hopper mentality where people are looking to leave quicker than they are looking to actually um, see if they have reason to stay. Um, it's a radically different way to frame that question is why should I stay rather than why should I go? And most people are already halfway out the door when they're saying, oh, I've got reasons A, B, and C for leaving the church. And it's like, how long did you really wrestle through that? Um, I think it's so beneficial, again, to take it back to, if this was the early church, or if I was in a persecuted church, would I be leaving for this reason? And the answer is usually no, because early church, you've got one church in town. So if you're leaving the church, you're leaving the fellowship altogether. You know, a persecuted church, uh, you know, am I, am I going to leave for this, you know, secondary issue or whatever the thing is? I'm going to be nitpicky or whatever. And the answer is just no. I mean, we're, Jack said it earlier, we're, we're in a way, we're too comfortable, you know, we're too comfortable to be able to pick and choose and, um, and all that. And as soon as, uh, uh, you know, a prettier church comes along, you know we leave the church of our youth <laughs> and, and run off, uh, with this, uh, with this other one. Yeah. Which brings and us point number four. to our final yeah. conclusion. Go ahead, Jack. Yeah. This is um, the best reason to leave. Yeah. If, if this is true, then you've got a very good reason to leave this church. If you have died, <laughs> number four is death. <laughs> if you if you have died, you have legitimate grounds by which not to attend. Please do not attend your church be anymore. Part of a local church. If you are dead, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Someone's going to yeah. email us on that right. one. Yeah. Um, they used to bury people at the church, Jack. Didn't you know that? <laughs> But consider the early church and just that 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 idea. Consider the persecuted church. Consider um, how the church is in the cult. The culture is impacting your decision. Like we need to take all these things into consideration. In consideration, right? Um, but again, orthodoxy, biblical qualifications of a pastor, proximity being moved, and then death. Like those are those are valid reasons. Um, and yeah, I I, I think we've kind of touched on touching all these and I'm sorry, I'm trying to wrap it up kind of quick because we're, we're uh, over time, but, but I I think we touched on them. Yeah. I can cut out some giggling. Uh, I guess to not be too, too abrupt. Is there anything you guys wanted to add on death? I think that one's kind of self-explanatory. No, that one's self-explanatory. I think, (laughs) I think the big takeaway that we, we talked about before we even recorded this is that there are many bad reasons to leave a church, um, but there are a few good reasons to leave a church. And yeah, when you look at the, the list of the two comparatively, um, I mean, that's very, very clear. But when you start to actually critically think through these things and examine your motives, examine your heart behind it, um, if you do that earnestly and if you do that scripturally, you're going to find that there's just not many instances in which that is going to be appropriate for yeah. you to do. So what yeah. we want to challenge you in, if you are a listener, is simply... Um, ask those tough questions. I mean, we can't answer that question for you ultimately through mm-hmm. a podcast. There are unique circumstances and s- situations that pop up. Um, but be wary of your own mm-hmm. heart. I mean, how often can it go astray simply because we believe the grass is greener on the mm-hmm. other side? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're really considering leaving your church, like if you think you have grounds to do so, I, w- I would encourage you to s- to spend a period of time and 
in uh, regular self-examination, like compare yourself to the word, spend time in prayer, uh, have a very clear understanding of the reason and make sure it's biblical. Like it's not just, I'm, I don't like this place anymore, right? Really think about it. Meditate seek on it. Seek counsel. Uh, I'd encourage yep. you to seek godly, yep. seek counsel. Yes, I was going to say seek godly counsel. Um, seek godly counsel from a godly individual, not someone who's just going to tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah. You know. Where's yeah, my right. friend who agrees with oh, me? Oh, you mean I shouldn't yeah. just go on, on the internet and post it to a group of people yeah. who have no idea who <laughs> yeah. I am? Like a, never mind. Yeah. Also, yeah, don't don't email us asking if you should leave your church. Um, we've laid out some we've we've laid out some principles uh, for you, but ultimately that's something you're gonna have to pray through, study through, think about, and seek godly counsel from people who actually are connected to your situation. Yeah, yeah. and don't just ghost. Actually go and talk with your elders if you decide to yeah. leave because you owe them yes. that courtesy. And they wanna know. Yeah, as a pastor, as a pastor, I can say, I want to know, like, what your thing is. And I hope that if you're having thoughts about this, that you would say something before you pull the trigger, you know. Not, surprise, we're leaving, (laughs) you know. Uh, But, you know, know, maybe there was a misunderstanding. Maybe there was something that can be worked through. Maybe, you know, let's just not do this, uh, you know, 24-hour divorce kind of deal. Uh, but let's contend for the faith yeah. and actually uh, see if we can work it out and remain in, in fellowship and in the same body and all those good things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on that point, you know, if, if you've talked to the elders and things are kind of, yeah, maybe it's best for, for you two to part, uh, follow the process. Likely there's some type of formal process. I would hope there's some type of formal process. If there isn't, that may be another red flag, but so, because there's, that means there's, not any type of formal tracking of membership and shepherding, which would be its own problem. Uh, but like, for example, when I changed churches about a year ago, I had to be released and transferred, right? There was this transferring to the other. So, um, Grayson, anything in closing before we wrap this one up? No, I don't think so. I think we, we covered at least the majority of it well, um, or hopefully well. I hope you guys were edified by it or helped by it. Um, if you have questions on anything in particular as far as some of the things that we said, please feel free to drop an email. But otherwise, we will catch you next time. All right. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Bye.